The reading is taken from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 10. And uh, if you're following it in the Bible, it's on page 1048. <clears throat> the parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Hooray. <laughs> this is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Joan. That was read really well. Thank you very much. Shall we pray? Father, we, we know that you know us. And we know that you know our hearts. We know that you know what's in our hearts right now. And we know that you know every single person that you've created across time, across the world. Lord, search out our hearts, seek out the lost, in Jesus' name, amen. The boss of a big company needed to call one of his employees, so he uh, found the telephone number he needed, rang the number, and uh, was greeted by a whispered, hello on the other end of the phone. And the boss asked, is your daddy home? Yes, whispered the child's voice. May I talk with him? The man asked. To the boss's surprise, the little voice said, no. The boss persisted, is your mummy there? Yes, came the little voice. Can I talk with her? Little voice whispered, no. Well, is there someone else I might talk to? The, the man asked the child. Yes, whispered the child. There's a policeman. Well, then can I talk to the policeman? 
No. Who's with the child? He's busy. Busy doing what? Asked the boss. Talking to mummy and daddy and the fireman. Whisper the child. Now the boss is growing more concerned, as you might imagine. And just then he heard the sound of a helicopter through the earpiece on his phone. And so the boss asked, what's that noise? A helicopter, asked the child. Alarmed, the boss nearly shouted down the phone, what is going on there? In an awed, whispering voice, the child said, the search team has just landed the helicopter. Why are they there? There's a muffled giggle on the other end, as he said, they're looking for me. (laughs) Now, I don't know whether you've ever been in that situation before, but there is a link. The link is we're looking at Luke chapter 15, and we're starting a new series here at Christchurch, and we're looking at Uh, or we're going to be thinking about a series and doing a series called The Prodigal God. And uh, it's based on uh, a book by Timothy Keller, who you may have heard of, maybe read some of his books. Great, great author, great teacher. Uh, He's uh, based in New York. Uh, He uh, was until recently the pastor of the Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. And he's a prolific author. He's written many, many books. Uh, If you ever go into Illuminating Town, you will see his books up, uh, very often on the bestseller list because uh, he's well sought after as as an author. Uh, So um, he's written many books. And uh, we're going to be looking at this over five weeks because um, it's sort of set into five studies. And if you're in a home group, uh, your home group leader may have already talked about this, but uh, there's a a discussion guide that we've got available for for home group leaders to to have. And... uh, uh, it's in five Bible studies. There is a DVD that goes along with it. You don't need to watch the DVD. You can if you want to order it. I've ordered it. Uh, but uh, you don't have to. Um, if you hear the talks, it's better because the talks really will help you in your discussions. Uh, but that's really a discussion you need to have within your home group as to what you want to do. But if you, want to, if you boil down what he's talking about in the book uh, and in the guide... Um, really, his message is, is that the parable that we're going to look at, not so much today, but the parable of the, uh, what we call the prodigal son or the younger son or the lost son, uh, actually is, is about two sons and the father. And it's a story of, of, of the way the father uh, welcomes home the lost son. And uh, what I'm going to do over the next five Sundays, I'm going to be preaching all of these. Um, Sorry about that. Uh, But over the next five Sundays, we're going to be looking at this parable in in some depth and and unpacking it, just trying to understand what it is about and what God is teaching us uh, through the parable. And we're going to start today by looking at the people around Jesus, the uh, the audience of uh, people who are with Jesus as he tells these stories stories, these parables. And one of the keys to understanding uh, this parable indeed is, is who is listening. Uh, very often if you've ever done some Bible study or Bible uh, uh, college, uh, Bible study at college, whatever, you'll know that really the, the, the Bible's always said in context. Uh, it's never said into a vacuum. Uh, it is in the context of a situation. 
And so we're going to look at the context uh, around the parable of the lost son today. So if you've got a Bible, let me encourage you to have it open to Luke chapter 15, and uh, we'll look at it together. And uh, Luke chapter 15, you'll you'll notice right at the start of the chapter who is around Jesus. And you'll see that we've got religious leaders and teachers of the law. Verse 2 particularly tells us that. And we've also got another group. We've got the tax collectors and sinners gathering around Jesus to hear what he's got to say. And if you know anything about the Bible, you know that when it says tax collectors and sinners, that's code for, you know, the dregs, the outcasts, the rejected, the dirt of society. And, and these people are the ones who, if you were respectable, if you were in any sense respectable, you would look down on them. You know, if you were in any sense sort of a, a, a Jew of any real description, you wouldn't want to associate with these people. So uh, magnify that many other times to the Pharisees and the, the law, uh, the, those who study the law, and they're not going to want to be with them at all. And so immediately you get some level of surprise going on in the chapter, the fact that Jesus is with them. And not surprisingly, they mutter. Verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. And, you know, the word mutter is a lovely word, isn't it? Because it's one of these words that sounds like it says. They mutter, 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 mutter. And, they, and a growling and there's a grumbling and a kind of, you know, what's going on here? Not so much, you know, out, well, it is out loud, but it's, it's sort of muffled, a muffled muttering going on. And, and these lawyers and these Pharisees, they're disapproving of the fact that Jesus is with these tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus knows what's going on in their hearts. He, he understands their heart. He, he, he knows what's going on. And so he tells three stories about things that have been lost. Three stories of items of great value. Firstly, the story of a man who's lost a sheep. Leaves the 99 sheep in the field, goes out to find the sheep that's lost. First story. Second story, the story of a woman who has lost a coin and she seeks it. Now, you might think, well, there's a coin. It's not that exciting. But in actually, the, uh, the, the Greek, um, the New Testament Greek says it's actually drachmas. Now, that might mean, may mean nothing at all either. But a drachma was essentially the value of a day's work. So, in fact, it's actually very precious. She's lost a day's wages. Don't want to do that. So she finds it. Thirdly, a man who has lost his son looks out on the horizon, constantly looking out for his son. Where is he? Where is he? I want to find my lost son. These are all things of value. They're all looking for things or people they've lost. Amazing stories. You can visualize a situation. You can identify with the situations they're in. You've all lost something. I've lost something. You've all lost something. Jesus identifies with his audience. But he's not just entertaining. He doesn't just teach to entertain. Oh, he does not. He's got an audience in mind. He knows his audience. He's got a specific audience in mind. And Jesus is addressing the mutterers. He's addressing the Pharisees. He's addressing the teachers of the law. 
what the group that uh, Tim Keller calls the religious conformist types. And as we look at these parables, we'll see that Jesus is making an assault on them. You know, a bit like an army goes against the, uh, the enemy. Jesus is going against them full on. And he's going to challenge their assumptions. He's going to challenge their assumptions about God, about others, and about themselves. And Jesus is about to undermine everything they thought they know about God and how you find peace with God. So, three sets of characters that Jesus has around him. So, there's the next slide just has those three, three sets of characters. Here we go. The unwilling listeners, the lost things, and the joyful seekers. So, three sets of characters. This is the first set of characters, the unwilling listeners, verses 1 to 3. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Two groups of people around Jesus, as I said before. You've got the tax collectors and the sinners over there, well away from the other group of people. You've got the Pharisees and the lawmakers and the lawgivers over this side, separate at a safe distance from each other. The reason is, is because these people, if you're too near that people, and you're one of these people, you're going to be affected and infected by them, by sin. And so Jesus, again, is he, he knows their heart, and he knows that they're thinking that that, pe- that group of people aren't any good, so I'm going to stay over there, and I'm not going to be affected. And also, I don't really want to hear what Jesus is saying. And so Jesus addresses, first of all, the unwilling listeners. The other thing to know and to notice and to realize is that this group of people over here, the Pharisees, are the ones who represent God in society. These are the, these are the group of people who, you know, they know, well, they should know who God is. Because they've looked, to the, they've looked at the moral codes, they've looked at the Old Testament commandments, they looked at the scriptures, they study it, they know it. But they're muttering that Jesus is spending time with the sinners, and the tax collectors. Because they don't get it. Why would he, this group, why would he want to spend time with them? Because we don't do that. We, we, we're, more, we're better than they are. You know, we understand the scriptures. We don't want to spend time with them. Doesn't he realize they're trouble? Doesn't he realize they're sinful? Doesn't he know we're the good guys? And it's, it's interesting to note that Jesus doesn't sort of answer their question in their head directly. The question of why is he spending time with that group? He doesn't answer that question directly. He tells them a story. Three stories. And as I said, it's not spoken into a vacuum. It's spoken into the context. And so Jesus challenges the worldview of that group, the Pharisees. And when you get to the last parable, the greatest parable, the lost son, we begin to realize that actually we're in the story. That both groups of people are in this drama. The sinners and the Pharisees. And that's why the last story is Jesus' greatest answer to that question, why is he spending time with that group? But we get to that in another talk. But we're going to look at the first two parables 
uh, and see how Jesus challenges them and us through these stories. And the first thing to notice is the way that he assaults their way of thinking about sin. So we think about the second point, the lost things, verses 4, 5, and 8. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. To verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? What's the link between those two parables? I've already told you the answer, but someone tell me, what is the link between those two parables? It's not a trick question. There's something that's lost. It's not a trick question. Something is lost. The lost sheep and the lost coin. And both of those things can't find their way back to their owner. They can't find their way home. It is unmistakable they're lost. Now, one of the ways to to, to think of a parable is to think of it as an extended metaphor. And and it's because, you see, what it's doing is asking us to think about us in relation to the story and what the story is saying. And so in this case, Jesus is asking us to compare and contrast ourselves with a lost coin and a lost sheep. Now, let's think about that for a moment. The lost sheep, particularly the lost sheep. Sometimes we can get a little bit gooey about the Bible. You know, you can think, oh, uh, I've read this passage, I'm a, I'm a lost sheep. And I think, oh, that's, that's nice, isn't it? I'm a lost sheep. And get a bit gooey and a bit kind of, I don't know, fluffy, if you like, about that. That's nice, isn't it? I'm a lost sheep. Isn't that nice? God loves, God loves me and I'm a sheep. And there are lots of references to sheep in the Bible. I looked up the word sheep in, in my concordance, and there's lots and lots and lots of references to sheep in the Bible. One of them is this one. You'll know this one. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You know that one, don't you? It's a well-known verse. However, we're missing the point. If we think the Bible referring to us as sheep is kind of nice and gooey and fluffy and, you know, comforting. Actually, no, it's not. Because the Bible by referring to us as sheep is actually an insult. Because, quite frankly, sheep are stupid. They are. Sheep are really quite stupid. This is a letter written by a pastor who used to be a shepherd. So this, this, this man knows what he's talking about. It might be a woman. Uh, this person knows what they're talking about. They wrote this, a sheep is a stupid animal. It loses direction continually in a way that a cat or a dog never does. Even when you find a lost sheep, it still rushes around like mad, and it just won't follow you home. So when you find it, what you have to do is seize it, tie its legs together, put it over its shoulder, and walk home with it. Otherwise, it will just get lost again. That's the only way you can rescue a lost sheep. Okay, let's meditate on that for a while. Jesus, you see, is teaching us two things. Firstly, he's saying that without a rescuer, the sheep is lost, helpless, can't rescue itself, can't do it. And so Jesus is saying, we need a rescuer, we need a shepherd, 
We need, in fact, him who is the great shepherd of the sheep. So don't misunderstand what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not commending the sheep for being a sheep. You can't help it, but it, you know he's not commending us in a sense of being sheep. No, he's saying we need a rescuer because we're lost. We can't find our way home because, you know, if you're anything like me, I wander off. You know, I, I wander around. I kind of, I do get lost in my spiritual journey. And so Jesus is our rescuer. He, he leads us home, leads us back to himself. Ezekiel says this about sheep. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and over every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. Sheep need a shepherd to bring them home. That's the first thing. Not only that, Jesus is also saying that like sheep, we can feed on things that are dangerous. We can feed on things that are dangerous for our souls. Have you ever watched sheep? You probably have. You've probably been to a farm or you've been to, I don't know. But sheep eat grass. That's not, a, that's not an amazing fact. But sheep eat grass, don't they? And they will eat grass wherever they find it. They'll even eat grass if it's at the, pres- the, the side of a massive precipice. And they go right up to the edge. And they're so stupid. They're so stupid they go over the edge. Because they don't get the fact that if they go over the edge, they're going to die. And Jesus is saying that we're like sheep. And we sometimes feed on things that aren't good for us. We, we sometimes fill our souls with things that aren't good for us. And we, 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 we do that. So, and there are things that we can do that we think, well, if I do that, that's going to make me a, a better person or it's going to kind of fill the gap that's in my life or my soul. And so we do things. We buy things that we think are going to feed that gap in our soul. We might look at things that are, are going to feed that gap or whatever it is. You know, we, we get all greedy. We get envious. We get all, you know, we say things about people that we think are going to feed our souls. But they don't because they're the wrong things. And so Jesus knows that. And he says, feed on me. Now, if you are a good Anglican, you'll know these words because at communion we say this, or you hear this, feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. Now that, whoever wrote that knew what he was talking about. It's probably Cranmer. And Cramer was saying, actually, you've got to feed on Christ. Because it's only Christ that nourishes your soul. Nothing else will. So the point is this. We're lost like sheep. And we need to feed on him, the great shepherd. We can't save ourselves. We need someone to save us. Now, the world says, again, the world says all of that that I've just talked about. The world also says that if you seek out people who are wise, they will help you to live. They will help you to live a good life. They'll help you to live a wise life. And so, you know, you walk up and down any high street, you'll see self-help manuals, uh, gurus, mantras, life coaches, all other things. that You know, the world is saying, if you do these things, you will live a good life and you will be fulfilled. But we know that doesn't happen. We need a saviour. And so you see, what Jesus is doing is he's, he's a continually 
undermining what the Pharisees are thinking about sin. Because he's saying we're lost in sin, we need a rescuer, we need a saviour, and so he does it. But the point is, it's by grace. He walks us home with us over his shoulder, as it were, like a sheep. Ephesians 2 says this, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is the great shepherd of the sheep, who is rich in mercy, made us alive together with Christ. We can't rescue ourselves out of the mire of sin. We need a savior. Only God can do it for us. Third group of characters, the joyful seekers. We've had the unwilling listeners. We've had the lost things. The the third group of characters are the joyful seekers in these stories. Verses 6 and 7 and 9 and 10. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not repent. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again and again and again, in this passage of Scripture, we've got joy and rejoicing. Joy and rejoicing over one sinner who repents. This is the message that God is saying through this, that Jesus is saying, that there is joy when the lost are found. Just as there is joy when the shepherd finds his lost sheep. Just as there is joy when the woman finds her lost coin. Just as there is joy when the father finds his lost son. There is joy when the lost are found. The sheep is lost. The coin can't find its owner. But there's great rejoicing when they're found. And remember, this is an assault on this group of people. The elites, the Pharisees, the teachers, the respectable Jesus is assaulting their mindset because this group of people say and are thinking, I have earned my place in society. I have earned my place in heaven. I've earned my place at the top of this religion of Judaism. That's what they're thinking. I've earned it. I'm a Pharisee. I've I've worked hard. I've studied the Bible for years. I've I've sat at the feet of other teachers. I'm a good person person. I've worked it out. I'm righteous. I'm all of these other things. And that's not uncommon today, is it? When you talk to me, when I talk to people about, you know, uh, talk to them about God or faith or heaven, you know, very often they say to me, I've earned it. You know, I've done this. I'm a good person. I've done lots of good deeds. I've earned the, I've earned things. I've earned my place. But gospel Christianity says something different. Jesus says something different. Jesus says that salvation is conferred, given, granted. We're rescued. We can't rescue ourselves. The problem is, you see, if, you, if you're like this group of people and you say, I've earned this, I've, I've done these things, and I'm good enough, and I, I, I should have it. What you end up doing, actually, is looking down on other people and saying, they're not as good as me. No, they're not as good as me because they haven't earned it. And that's how you can end up being. You can end up being a bit like the Pharisees and say, well, actually, I'm better than they are. 
But Jesus, you see, turns that idea on its head and he says, no, it's the shepherd who finds the sheep. The shepherd finds the lost sheep who will never get home unless he's found. And the Pharisees, you see, they saw sin from one angle. But God sees sin from every angle. He knows that sin entangles us. He knows that sin gets hold of us and it wraps us up in its tangles. And the only way we can be free of sin is by saying, God, untangle it. Untangle that sin. I can't do it. And so Jesus, you see, is portraying here a new community, a people who have been, who have come to the end of their own resources and said, God, I need you. Rescue me. Jesus confronts their notions about sin. He also confronts their notions about salvation. And the end of each parable challenges our heart's notion that we can earn God's favor and love and peace and blessing. Jesus says, no, no, no. Jesus says you can't earn it. It's given. And when you're found, there's rejoicing over heaven. The whole company of heaven rejoices. Whereas the Pharisees are sneering, God welcomes you home. Let me wrap this, wrap this up. Let me finish. Let's come to an end on this particular talk. Let me just ask a question to finish. This may be a question you just need to ask in the quiet of your own heart. You may want your eyes closed. Do you know deep in your heart, deep in your soul, in your mind, that you are a lost sinner? A lost sheep. And do you know that you've been found by the grace of God? Do you know that? If you do, that's great. If you do, that's wonderful. That's the best thing ever. And God says, bask in my love, bask in my peace, bask in my joy, bask in my blessing. But if you don't know that, why not come home to the Father today? Depend on him, depend on his grace Say, thank you for your mercy. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these stories. We thank you for the amazing truth that is contained within them. Truths that are just so deep that we miss them. Thank you that you are the great shepherd who has sought us out, who seeks us out continually. That you put us over your shoulder, that you bring us home, that you have a great place for us. Thank you, Lord, that you are the God of grace who sinks out the lost. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.